as it's really pronounced, Abakuk, but we'll go with Habakkuk because, I mean, let's just be real, that's really hard to say. The question that you, that you wrestle with in all of Habakkuk is the question that every one of you answer regularly. Why? 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 So, typically, my approach is to read through the entirety of the passage I'm going to cover. I'm going to function and flow a little bit differently. I'm going to read the entirety of chapter 1. We'll spend time there. We'll read through chapter 2, spend some time there, and do the same with chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open those to the book of Habakkuk, probably one that you've done a quiet time or two in recently. Uh, And it reads in chapter 1, verse 1, the pronouncement that the prophet Habakkuk saw. How long, Lord? Must I call for help and you do not listen or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. This is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. Look at the nations and observe. Be utterly astounded, for I am doing something in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. Look, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth's open spaces to seize territories not its own. They are fierce. They are terrifying. Their views of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and more fierce than wolves of the night. Their horsemen charge ahead. Their horsemen come from distant lands. They fly like evil, swooping to devour. All of them come to do violence. Their faces are set in determination. They gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and rulers are a joke to them. They laugh at every fortress and they build siege ramps to capture it. Then they sweep by like the wind and pass through. They are guilty. Their strength is their God. Are you not from eternity, Lord, my God, my Holy One? You will not die. Lord, you appointed them to execute judgment. My rock, you destined them to punish us. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? Why are you silent while one who is up one who is more righteous than himself? You've made mankind like fish of the sea, like marine creatures that have no ruler. The Chaldeans pull them all up with a hook. They catch them in their dragnet. They gather them in their fishing net. That is why they are glad and that's why they rejoice. That is why they sacrifice to their dragnet and burn incense in to their fishing net, for by these things their portion is rich and their food is plentiful. Will they therefore empty their net and continually slaughter nations without mercy? The prophecy of Habakkuk is a unique prophecy in comparison to the rest. Most of the time, when we look at scriptural prophecies, they are dealing with uh, something that is taking place between God and his people. The God is speaking to the people through this prophet. In the book of Habakkuk, God is being spoken to. 
God is being spoken to by this prophet. And the prophet speaks to God on behalf of the people because he looks at the nation as a whole and says to God, God, I want you to do something. Why won't you do anything? And anyone who's wrestled with honesty at all in their walk with the Lord has been there. We've looked at what we consider to be travesty. We've looked at what we believe to be injustice. We've looked at the wickedness around us. And we say to God, why won't you do something? The questions that he he poses to Yahweh are very direct. Why do I have to look at the mess of injustice that's around me? Why is there wrong and why won't you do what is right? This is a conversation between a frustrated prophet... And the God of that prophet. This world is broken, God. I would like for you to intercede on behalf of your people. Why won't you act? Have you been there? Have you wrestled with that? Why won't you do anything? And the first four verses is the prophet saying to God, the people of Judah are wicked. No matter how much I interact with them, no matter how much I work with them, no matter how much I talk to them, they're just wicked. And everywhere I look, there's absolute wickedness. They're they're treasonous. They could care less about their covenant with you. Their relationship with you does not matter. How long must I call for help and you don't listen or cry out to you about violence? Why do you force me to look at injustice? When I look around, Yahweh, your people who call themselves yours don't behave as if they're your people or as if they belong to you. We're oppre- we see oppression, oppression everywhere. The priests are wicked. The people are wicked. Everything about this is horrible. Nothing says, I think that I should be God more than the question why. Anytime that we come before Yahweh with with that posture, anytime you come before anyone with that posture, you are saying to that person, I think that I know better than you. It's written deep down in our genetic code. It works inside of us. Nothing says that we think that we should be God more than that question. Simultaneously, nothing says that I am not God more than the need to ask that question. That we have something that we look at and we say, this is above my pay grade. This is beyond my control. No one asks why when they have things that they agree with. None of you have ever had a delicious meal served to you at one of the fine eating establishments in Lake Jackson and said, man, this is wonderful. These fajitas are great. Why did you serve these to me? Why did you bring this to me? This prophet says to God, how long will I observe this violence and and see that you do nothing? The word there is Hamas. It's this active violence against the people. It's more than that. It's this overarching violence. It's just there. It is written on the codes of these people. This prophet's so weird because he doesn't challenge a nation. He doesn't challenge a people group. He challenges God himself. God, I have questions for you. I have questions about you. Why don't you do what you tell me you're going to do? If you are sovereign, why do the wicked prosper? 
how long am I going to weep to you and I'm going to see you do nothing? I have, uh, I grew up in church and there were some cliches and catchphrases that you would hear from time to time. You should never question God. We got a whole book of the Bible of someone questioning God. You will be told that when something did not go the way that the person thought. While I can see the way and the trepidation that we should approach God with in regard to questioning Him, our approach to Him in regard to questions should not disqualify our honesty with God. Have you been honest with the Lord about what breaks you? What hurts you? Have you talked to God about what you see as as problematic? Why don't you do anything? And in verse 5, God says, I will. I will. Most of my life has been spent in churches in the similar vein to what people who love the Lord and people who celebrate mission and we want to see the mission of God pushed forth. Verse 5, in much of my life, has been used as a verse to celebrate mission. Listen to why you would celebrate mission with this verse. Look at the nations and observe. Be utterly astounded. I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe when you hear about it. Even if you were told, one translation says. We get why that goes, why people want to use that verse for mission conversations. This has nothing to do with the mission of God. It is anti-mission. Because what God's going to declare to His people is, you would not believe what I'm going to do even if you were told. And then He says, I am sending in the Babylonians to wreak havoc on you. You are wondering how I'm going to deal with injustice? You're You're wondering how I'm going to display my righteousness? Here's how. I'm going to send in wicked oppressors to undo you as a people. I'm raising up the Chaldeans, synonymous with the Babylonians. They are bitter, they are impetuous. They sound like a fun lot. They march across the earth's open spaces. They seize territories, not of its own. They are fierce, they are terrifying. Their views of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves. Meaning, they don't have a God who leads them. They actually claim to worship this guy named Marduk, but he really just was what they wanted. He was their manifestation of the way they believed a God should be, which may or may not be different than our manifestation of God at times. Their view of justice comes from inside of them. They have swift horses. They are more fierce than the wolves at night. Their horsemen charge ahead. They come from distant lands. They fly like eagles, swooping to devour. All of them come to do violence. Their faces are set in determination. They gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings. God says, I'm going to fix it. And I'm going to use Babylon to do so. Babylon, in the words of Michael Scott and John Ralphio, is the worst. They're terrible. Let me give you some visuals and examples of how, not really visuals, examples of what God is about to do with the Babylonians. 
This is North Korea being used to correct the injustices of another nation. This is Palpatine, Darth Vader, and the Empire being used to correct Voldemort and the Death Eaters. This is Alabama being used to correct the recruiting violations of the University of Texas. That's what's happening in this passage. How can God use an unrighteous nation to bring about justice? How can He use this unrighteous people to bring about judgment? His questions, why do you allow injustice? Why would you allow more wicked people to correct Judah? And you see a shift in Habakkuk's tone from, God, why do you let Judah be this, to why in the world would you do that? Why do evildoers dominate the world? Verse 12, let's not miss it. Are you not from eternity? That's an insult. He is intentionally insulting Yahweh. You're infinite, right, God? And if you're infinite, that means that you're infinitely good and wise. And you're infinitely good and you're infinitely wise and you're infinitely infinite, yet you're going to allow this to happen? And it all comes down to, that's not the way that I would do it. Does God ever function in a way that you don't think that He should function? Or do what you don't think that He should do? Or allow things that you don't think that He should allow? He's being honest. There's something oddly beautiful about His honesty with God in this passage. All that you see in 12 through 17 is this prayer where he says to Yahweh, What are you doing? Do you know how bad those people are? And I'm not sure if you've ever looked around. It's not gotten any better. Wickedness and violence are everywhere. Chapter 2, verse 1. I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. He's positioning himself as a watchman. I will wait to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. That verse is unique. It, It reminds me Kids have it so much better than we do. We did. The podcasts are available. I remember when we had to listen to talk radio. Does anyone remember talk radio? Maybe you still listen to talk radio, and you'll have that person who will call in with a heavy southern accent. I understand that. And they will say something to the effect of first time caller, long time listener. They'll pose their question. They'll say, I'll hang up and listen. I love that. Habakkuk in this passage says to God in chapter 2 verse 1, Hey, I'm going to sit here, I'm going to watch, and I'm going to wait. Because I would like to see how you answer this. I want to see what you do with this. Because these people, God, they're, they're terrible. Did you miss the portion that, about the, how awful they are? I gave you a long list. 
Let's read chapter 2. I will stand at my guard post and I will station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch see what he will say to me. What I should reply about my complaint. The Lord answered me, write down this vision, clearly inscribe it on tablets so that no one may easily read it. Put this down, make a note. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and it will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. Look, his ego is inflated. He's without integrity, but the righteous one? The righteous one will live by faith. Wine betrays. An arrogant man is never at rest. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol and like death. He is never satisfied. He gathers all the nations to himself. He collects all the people for himself. Won't all these take up a taunt against him with mockery and riddles about him? They will say, Woe to him who amasses what is not his. How much longer and loads himself with goods taken in pledge. Won't you creditors suddenly arise? Those who disturb you wake up. Then you will become spoil for them. <coughs> Since you have plundered many nations, all the people who remain will plunder you because of human bloodshed and violence against land, city, and all who live in them. Woe to him who dishonestly makes wealth for his house to place his nest on high, to escape the grasp of disaster. You have planned shame for your house by wiping out many peoples and sinning against your own self. For the stones will cry out from the wall and the rafters will answer them from the woodwork. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and who founds a tower with justice. Is it not from the Lord of armies that the people labor only to fuel the fire and countries exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as waters cover the sea. Woe to him who gives his neighbors drink, pouring out your wrath, even making them drunk, in order to look at their nakedness. You will be filled with disgrace instead of glory. You also drink and expose your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come across, will come around you to you, and utter disgrace will, co- will cover your... Your glory for your violence against Lebanon will overwhelm you. The destruction of animals will terrify you because of your human bloodshed and violence against land, cities, and all who live in them. What use is a carved idol after its craftsman carves it? It is only a cast image, a teacher of lies. For the one who crafts it shapes trust in it and makes it makes worthless idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, wake up, or to a mute stone, come alive. Can it teach you? Look, it may be plated with gold and silver, yet there is no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent in his presence. You get to chapter 2. Habakkuk says, I'll hang up and wait. I'll listen to what you have to say. And as he interacts with Yahweh, Yahweh answers him, pointing out that he has not abandoned his people. He has not overlooked their their injustice. He's not overlooked the injustice of those who are mistreating them. God says those who are righteous will live by faith. 
faith in this passage is this is the verse that we're very familiar with. You find it in Galatians. You find it in Hebrews. You find it in Romans. It is a phrase that is sown into the life of a believer. The righteous will live by faith, trusting that this is not the way the world is supposed to be and that what seems to be ruling this world is not actually ruling this world. Faithful people will hold on to things like being truthful. Faithful people will cling to honesty. Faithful faithful people will display that they are reliable. Faithful people will show commitment to Yahweh. Faithful people will align with the teachings of Yahweh. And you look in this text and you see God saying to His people, I'm going to deal with sin just not on your schedule. I'm going to deal with this world just not in the way that you would like for me to deal with this world. You see these woes in the passage. And he's pointing out these injustices that you'll see with the Babylonians and with the world as a whole. But he points out these particular injustices. In 6-8, through you see they've been aggressive towards those who they live in, in rule over. You see covetousness among the people. Both of these tied to economic injustices that you would see in the world in which they live. There is violence that is there. God addresses that. I will show a woe to that. And these are not the Joey Russo woes from Blossom. These are a completely different woe altogether. I'm going to address the wickedness of this world. Don't you worry, Habakkuk. God's going to address their inhumanity in 15 through 17. He addresses their idolatry in 18 through 20. Because idolatry is the engine that drives the entire thing. They have a worship of a God who is not real. They have set themselves up, this nation of Babylon, as the one who is able to answer the question, why? And God addresses that and says, that is problematic. It is an issue. I'm going to undo you. Not because of the level of their wickedness. Because of the presence of it. We look around sometimes and we believe that the level of wickedness that we see is what is an affront to the Lord. It's not. The presence of wickedness is an affront to the Lord. So when God looks at this world, the fact that wickedness, the darkness of the human heart would cause us to think that we are people who can answer why. God addresses that and says to us, no, you are not God. You're just not. And he deals in this passage with these people. That God is going to deal with these people and point out their inconsistencies. He points out the way that they treat those who are less financially stable than they are. He points out how they take advantage of their workers. And while it's not a one-for-one comparison, any of you who are in power over someone... How are you interacting with the people who work with you and for you? Do you communicate the things about Yahweh that His people who live by faith do? When those who would call you boss or whatever word you use, would they say that you as a Yahweh follower are truthful? That you are reliable? That you are honest? Or that you are committed? To both your God and to the people that He has placed in your path. And if not, 
Why not? Are we Yahweh's people who would say that we see the wickedness that God sees and we are waiting as watchmen for Him to address it? You go from the woe of chapter 2 to to what we see in chapter 3. When God deals with these people again, and you see Habakkuk turn his attention to who? He turns his attention to Yahweh, not as an affront to him, but as a commitment to him. Because he realizes over the course of time that God is going to confront evil in the way that he desires. That he will save his people in and through his anointed, promised one. Chapter 3, a prayer of the prophet Habakkuk. This is a worship song, by the way. Tried to get Jared to write up a little ditty. He didn't trust me. (laughs) Lord, I've heard the report about you. I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. In In your wrath. Remember mercy. God comes from Timon, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His splendor covers the heavens and the earth is full of His praise. His brilliance is like light. Rays are flashing from His hand. This is where His power is hidden. Plagues go, plagues go, plague goes before Him and pestilence follows in His steps. He stands and shakes the earth. He looks and startles the nations. The age-old mountains break apart. The ancient hills sink down. His pathways are ancient. I see the tent of Kushan in distress. The tent curtains of the land of Midian tremble. Are you angry at the rivers, Lord? Is your wrath against your river, the rivers? Or is your fury against the sea when you ride on horses? Your victorious chariot, you take the sheath from your bow. The arrows are ready to be used with an oath, Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains see you and shudder. A downpour of water sweeps by. The deep roars with its voice and lifts its waves. High sun and moon stand still in their lofty residence. At the flashing of their flying arrows, at the brightness of your shining spear, you march across the earth with indignation. You trample down the nations in wrath. You come out to save your people, to save your anointed. You crush the leader of the house of the wicked, and you strip him from foot to neck. Selah. You pierce his head with his own spears. His warriors storm out to scatter us, gloating as if ready to secretly devour the weak. You tread the sea with your horses, stirrups, Stirring up the vast water. As you read through this, you see that God is moving his people toward a consideration of the Exodus yet again. The language is in rhythm and rhyme with the story of the Exodus. Pestilence, wrath, waters being stirred up. God declaring that there is a new Exodus coming for his people. That there is a greater Exodus. That there is a promised exodus. That there is one who will be God's... That will be the place where judgment and mercy meet. As you read through Habakkuk, you see an imperfect man drawing out the idea in this passage of justice and mercy. 
God, have justice and don't, have justice and, and show that the world needs to see your justice, but yet have mercy on those of us who are in this space. Have mercy on those of us who are yours. This imperfect man points to that, yet he will, he will eventually find his place. This story will find its place not in an imperfect man who sees justice and mercy meet, but in a perfect man where those things come together. You will see as, this, as, as you look at the story of the people of Israel and the story of those of us who are followers of Jesus, a place where God brings this story to its fruition. He brings it to its completion. Where God will take mercy and justice and He will bring those things together and He will condemn the wickedness of sin in a person. He will condemn the wickedness of sin in His anointed one, in the one who is the hope of the world. The Exodus is a picture of the future Exodus where Yahweh will defeat evil. Where he will bring justice for all and He will rescue the oppressed. If we're people, are we aligned with what God would do? Are we, true, are we choosing to trust Him and find joy in Him? Are we declaring that the righteous live by faith and faith alone? Are we saying that God loves this more, world more than we do? And that He will one day, once and for all, wipe away all of the evil that is here? This is the message of the people of Yahweh. This is the message of the people of God. That we have found our place in the anointed one. We have found our hope there. In this Jesus. 16. I heard. I trembled from within. This is Habakkuk still talking. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. They are waiting for the Babylonians to conquer the people of Judah. Though the fig tree does not bud and there is no fruit on the vine, so the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls, I will celebrate the Lord. I'll rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like those of the deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights for the choir director on stringed instruments. This passage concludes with him talking about these deer. From the tad bit of reading that I did, this is a reference to the hoofed animals in general. The wild goats of Israel. And if you've ever watched them, they will run from one rock to another. They are trampling from one place to the other, trusting and resting assured as they deal with the unsteady, shaken, shaken ground that surrounds them. That they have been given sure footing. And Yahweh is saying to His people, through the prophet Habakkuk, there are rocky, unstable days there are days when you do not feel as if you, you have a sturdy place to stand. But trust me and that my faithfulness will carry you through. God is faithful to His people. And though He may not work in the way that we prefer or desire for Him to work, He is always at work providing sure footing for us. And we are reminded of that today. Today, as a family of faith, we take communion. 
And that communion is us realizing and remembering that the sure footing that God has given us is the anointed one who took our judgment and offered us mercy in its place. It's where this idea of God being God and offering Himself to us on our behalf, it's where they meet the judgment of God and the mercy of God coming together on the cross of Jesus. So, I'm going to pray for us and Jared's going to lead us as, in, in worship. And we're going to just guide through communion. And he'll walk us through what it means to take the cup and to eat of the bread and remember that that is Christ's body broken for me. It's a steady place for us to stand in unsure footing. That His blood was shed for me. It's a reminder that God is for us and the righteous will live by faith. That He has dealt with sin, all sin, all time. We stand in the, in the hope that God has met His people and offers Himself for us. Now, let me pray for us this morning. Father, we thank You for today. We thank You that Your Word is good and true. And Lord, that You speak through unique, even strange passages sometimes. So Lord, for every person in this room who has ever questioned who has ever asked why, Lord, I pray that you will help us to see that you meet us with an answer. For every one of us who have ever looked at injustice around us, will we see that you are the answer. Lord, we thank you that you care and love for your people, and you care for and love your people. So, Lord, we thank you for the sure footing of the cross. The place where you have told us that we can stand in you I pray we will celebrate that today as we take of the cup and eat of the bread if you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus we would love to chat with you about that I'm in the back right hand corner of the room